Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a great, great, great day. And so excited about worship. And so excited about being in God's presence and studying the Word of God together. Now, I remember back in my days when I was dating, some of you uh, are in that phase right now, and you're in that dating phase and trying to discern God's person for you. I'm praying for you, praying with you. For those of us who are married, we remember back to those days and what those times were like, right? And, and every one of those relationships, and I remember this, is that there comes a point in the relationship, it doesn't matter how long you've been dating, but there comes a time when all of a sudden you have the talk. You know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, we called it in college the the uh, DTR talk. You know, that was define the relationship. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're dating a person and then, you know, sometimes they go, okay, we need to talk. And you're like, okay, here it comes, right? The DTR. It, 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 this, it was all about this. It was like, it's like, so what are your intentions? You know, I mean, I mean, where are we in this relationship? I mean, are we just hanging out on the weekends? Is it fun just to go to parties? Or are you really in this? You know, I mean, are you kind of in this? Where's this going? You know what I'm talking about, right? The DTR talk, to define the relationship. And it's important in every relationship at some point to have that kind of talk. And the fact of the matter is this, at some point, Jesus wants to have that kind of talk with us. You know, Jesus kind of comes along and he says, okay, kind of, where are you in this? You know, are we just kind of hanging out on the weekends? Or, you know, I mean, are we kind of Christmas and Easter buddies? Or, you know, we got to, where are you in this relationship? Because Jesus goes, I'm all in. I mean, just so you know, I'm putting all my cards on the table. I'm all in in this relationship with you. I mean, I'm putting it on the line. I love you. I believe in you. And there comes a point for all of us, and it's great to ask questions, and it's wonderful to study, but there comes a point for all of us where we go, okay, how do I answer that? You know, what do I say? Jesus, where am I in my relationship with you? Is it just a weekend deal that I'm kind of hanging out with you, or am I all in? Am I following? Am I willing to trust? Am I willing to be used by you for your name and for your glory? Define the relationship. Well, welcome back to our series. We've been in this great series called New Year, New You. And in this series, we've been looking at, this is the time of year where most people make their New Year's resolutions right. And most of them center around, you know, getting in shape and working out and being buff or, you know, getting on the cardio and hitting that. And but what we've said is this, is as followers of God, we want to look at 2015. And we want to say, this is the year that we grow deeper in our faith. We grow stronger in our faith. We become the men and women that God called and created us to be because God has a plan for our life. God has a purpose for us. Now, our theme verse in this series, I hope you've memorized it by now. If not, try to commit this to memory because it's such a great verse, right? It, it says this. It says, for physical training is of some value. It's important to work out. It's important to stay in shape. It's important to eat healthy. Like the Bible says that for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It doesn't matter how good a shape you're in, at some point we're all gonna die. Right? At some point, these bodies are gonna wear out, but our spirit will go on. And so our relationship with God impacts this present life, impacts everything that we do in the way that we live, but impacts eternity as well. And so this call for you and I, now we have seen in this series how Jesus took these 12 disciples and he's pouring into them and he's teaching them. It's kind of like this CrossFit class, right? You know, just like if physically, you know, there's the things that you would work on if you went to a class and you're going to work on your cardio, your core, your upper body, your lower body, and your overall fitness. Jesus is training these guys spiritually. And so he talked to them about faith, right? He says, hey guys, listen, if you're going to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You know, you can't just stay in the boat. And so we've said, how do we grow in 2015 in our faith? 
How do we step out of the boat? And maybe it's small steps, or maybe it's big steps, but maybe it's baptism, or joining the church, or maybe it's a mission trip, or something, but I'm going to grow my faith. We, we saw the next workout, right? Workout number two of prayer. And, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, and for us to grow in our prayer life in 2015. And not just, Lord, help, but, you know, understanding that it's talking, but also listening. And hearing from our Father. We saw the third workout, serve. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then we realized it's not just about me. It's about me giving back. It's about me serving. And then workout number four, worship. Worship is my response back to God for who he is and for what he's done in my life. And living a life of worship. And then we see how you put it all together. And that's what we're going to do today. And it's mission. Living life on mission. It's kind of like the culmination. We've been getting stronger. We've been adding weight to the bar, right, each week. There's more weight on there as we're growing, as we're learning, as we're becoming. But today we put it all together because you were created and I was created for a mission. If I were to ask you this, what is the mission of your life? How would you respond? What is the mission of your life? How do you know when you get to the end of your days that you accomplished what God had for you? What is the mission for your life? And God wants you to know and God wants me to know. God wants us to live it. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship. Now, if you go back to the original Greek, that word workmanship, I love this. It's translated masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. There's nobody in the world like you. You are the only one. You are God's masterpiece. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And God wants you and I to live that out. And when you and I engage in what God's doing, man, there is something that happens in us because we're fulfilling that mission that God has for us. And we come on Sundays and we worship and we study the word, but we are filled out in order to be sent out as the hands and feet of Christ, right? As ones to live out the good works and to make a difference in our day and our time and our generation for the glory of God. And so let's talk about that today. What does it mean to live life on mission? If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the gospel of Luke. Luke, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Maybe you don't have a Bible. Maybe you have a mobile device that has the scriptures on it. You version. Jump there. Go on your iPad or your phone. Uh, also, we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along with what God's word has to say. But Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10 shows us Jesus doesn't just want a weekend relationship. Jesus wants an all-in commitment for us to follow him, for us to trust him. And pick up here in Luke chapter 10. It says, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So they're growing, right? There were 12 disciples, and now we're up to 72. If you get to the first part of Acts, there's 120 believers, and then the early church is exploding, and there's too many people estimate 20,000 believers there in Jerusalem by Acts chapter 6. Uh, today, there's one-third of the world. Over 2 billion people would profess the name of Jesus, right? So, I mean, you're talking about a movement that's growing. and says 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, I love this, that he sent them out two by two, right? Because so often we're like, 
uh, I'm kind of scared to do missions. I'm kind of scared to go out. And, and when you go out by yourself, you know, you're like, what if they ask me all the hard questions? You know, what, what's the, what am I going to say? What am I going to respond? But he sent them out two by two. We do life in community. We do ministry in community. We do worship in community. You do missions in community. It's the way God designed it. So he sends them out two by two. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He said, guys, the harvest is plentiful. There are all kinds of needs out there. (laughs) There there is a broken world in which we live. People need the Lord. All of us, we have needs, right? None of us are perfect. Everybody's fighting some kind of battle. So he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. (laughs) There's few people that engage. There's few people that are going to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. So he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Pray that God will move in people's heart and that they'll go out. They're going to want to serve. They're going to want to make a difference. They're going to want to be used by God. Verse 3, go. Exclamation point. (laughs) I love that. I love exclamation points in the Bible. I don't know. It's just fun. You know, go. It's like Jesus is like, guys, you know, just just sit here in the holy huddle. You know, you got to go. Branch out. Move. I'm with you. I'm sending you out, out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Like, that's encouraging. Thanks. You know, but, uh, you know, here he goes. What's he saying? He goes, guys, go. You're going to go in love. You're going to go in love. Now, there are wolves out there. You know, you do have enemies. You have an enemy who wars against you. Just know that. Be aware of that. But you go in humility. You go in love. And do not take a purse or bag or sandals. What's he saying? He's saying travel light. You don't get caught up in a bunch of possessions and other stuff that's going to weigh you down. You've got a mission. You've got a purpose. And do not greet anyone on the road. Is he saying be rude? No, he's not saying that. He's saying be focused. <laughs> be focused. You've got a mission. Live it. Go. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. What's he saying there? He's saying, guys, go out and bless people. You know? I mean, so often when we see people, what do we do? We compare ourselves, right? Our first initial response is, you know, like, what kind of car do they drive? Or wonder how much they make? Or what kind of clothes they wear? And we have this competition mindset. But he says, no, 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 no. When you go out, you say, peace be with you. You go out, you bless people. You go out and you see people the way I see them. You love people the way I love them. Bless them. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. He's saying, guys, when you find a need, meet it. You know, if, how many people know your neighbors? When you find out that a neighbor's going through a tough time, you, you enter into that. You engage. How many people know the people who live around an apartment complex or what your coworkers are going through? When you find out, be there. Be responsive. Don't just go, okay, great, and move on to the next thing. Be involved, be engaged. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now, a lot of people get to this and go like, heal the sick? All right, I'm out on that one, right? You know? I mean, how am I going to heal the sick? I mean, what am I supposed to do there? Now, this is awesome to me because Jesus is sending them out, right, in his name. And do you realize that the same power, the Holy Spirit, the same power that was there with the disciples in the New Testament is the same power available to you and me? The Holy Spirit works through believers. 
And so when you and I go, miracles are not just reserved for pastors or for priests or for people you know, who spend all their time with God. Miracles happen in the lives of ordinary believers who just live in an extraordinary way. They're people who just say, God, use me. And when he says, heal the sick, sometimes that's physical. Other times it's emotional. Other times it's spiritual. Right, but you're engaging. A lot of you are in counseling and you know, man, you've seen lives being transformed. We've seen miracles happen. But he also says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Right, don't separate. You meet physical needs. You take care of the poor and the hungry, but you also meet spiritual needs because these bodies are gonna wear out, right? The bodies are gonna wear out. So if we're not sharing Jesus and telling people about Jesus, then we're missing it. You do both. Both are important, both are essential to meet the physical and the spiritual. He says, yeah, but listen, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What's he saying? He's, guys, listen, there's gonna be people who may reject you. It's gonna happen, right? I know one third of the world you know, says Jesus today, billions of people, but, but there's gonna be people who are gonna say, I don't understand that. I don't get this whole Christianity thing. I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand why you're trying to help me or whatever. He goes, that's not up to you. All you're called to do is be obedient. And here's the great news. This is so freeing, right? All you're called to do is be obedient. When God prompts your heart to send an email to somebody who's hurting or to, to reach out to somebody, shoot them a text or, or whatever it is, to engage with a coworker to say, hey, how can I pray for you? All you're called to do is be obedient. It's up to God how that person responds. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, hey, it's okay. You just be obedient. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Wow. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. This town, Chorazin, it's a town that only mentioned right here in Scripture. When we were on a biblical study tour uh, last year in Israel, we went to this archaeological dig that was happening at this town. And what's amazing to me is Jesus says, you know, if all the miracles that were performed there would have happened, other people would have repented. You know how many miracles aren't even recorded in the Bible? I mean, the, the Bible says that the, not even all the books in the world could contain if it was all written down what Jesus did on this earth. I mean, Jesus is alive and moving. He says, but, but I will tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects, rejects the one who sent me. He goes, guys, listen, you are the hands and feet of Christ. You are the ones that go out and offer Jesus and offer hope. Now, I love, look at this in verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with what? Joy. I gotta tell you, there is so much excitement when you and I engage with what God wants to do in our lives. I picture Jesus sending out these 72. They're going out two by two. They're all these different towns and they have this meeting point where they're supposed to come back and they're coming back and they are so excited about what God has been doing. And they're like high-fiving each other, right? I don't know if they high-fived back then, but I would, you know, high-fiving back then and maybe giving knuckles. I don't know what they were doing, but they were just excited. They're like, you wouldn't believe it, what God is doing, the way God is moving in our community, the way God is moving in our world. The 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
God, we saw you do miracles. We saw people come to know Christ. We saw lives being changed. God, this is fun. And he replied, I saw Satan fall fall like lightning from heaven. Now, what's he saying? Well, if you look at scripture, if you go through and read scripture, we know that at one point, Satan was an angel in heaven. And Satan was a, was a glorious angel, but Satan wasn't content just to be an angel and worship God. Satan said, you know what? I want to be on the throne. And so out of pride, out of ego, out of arrogance, he rebelled against God and God kicked him out of heaven. And so Satan comes down to this earth and Satan knows that he can't get to God, right? Because God is sovereign. So what does Satan do? He goes after God's kids, right? Any parent here will tell you, you can do anything to me as a parent, but you go after my kids, it's a whole different ballgame, Right? But Satan knows if I can get God's kids distracted, if I can get God's kids, you know, consumed with the things of this world, I've got them. I've got them. And so Jesus goes, whoa, 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 don't let pride set in. Don't let arrogance set in. You know what? I saw Satan. He he fell like, like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He goes, man, what you rejoice about every day is that God has saved you, that God has redeemed you, that God has a plan for you, that God knows you by name, that God loves you, the God of all creation. He said, get excited about that. And then look at verse 21. At that time, Jesus full of what? Joy. Jesus full of joy. I think Jesus was so excited these guys were getting it. You know, these guys are getting it. They're living it. I grew up playing sports, and I know many of you did, but it was just so fun playing sports when, you know, you had a good team, and everybody on the team knew their role, and everybody was doing their role, and you would get on a, on a streak, and you're winning games, and you would just get excited, and you would come off the court, or, and you're high-fiving, and your coach is excited, right? That was when it was really fun. Your coach is like, yeah, way to go. You guys are doing great. I picture Jesus like this. I picture Jesus just smiling from ear to ear going, yeah, guys, this is good. You're getting it. Jesus, full of joy, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. He goes, God, God, this is awesome. And it's not just the people who think they know everything. it's, It's ordinary people, ordinary people like you and me who are getting it, who are living it. He goes, that's great. He keeps going. He says, right, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He says, guys, don't forget it's about Christ. The way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. It all comes back to Jesus. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, So you can picture here, 72, he takes the 12, he kind of pulls them over to the side. He said, guys, listen, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. He goes, guys, don't miss out on this. There were people in the Old Testament who were living their lives for God. There were people, there were kings, there were prophets, and they longed for the day that the Messiah would come. And you guys are getting to see that. They longed for the day that the Holy Spirit would come, and you guys are seeing God do what only God can do. And you know what, church? I just think we're living in that time. 
We're living in that time. We have this relationship with God through Jesus. We're watching God work around us. We're seeing lives being impacted. He goes, don't miss that. Understand that you're getting to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That God is at work. This call to engage, this call to do missions. I love what John Wesley said. John Wesley, he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. You know, John Wesley said, hey guys, let's engage. And it's not just on Sundays, it's every day. Do all the good you can. Martin Luther King Jr. said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? Because the result, I gotta tell you this, the result is joy. When you and I live out that missional call in our lives, when you and I begin to engage in those around us, the result is joy. Lives being impacted, lives being transformed. You know, when people say, you know, well, I don't know, church really isn't fun, they haven't come to Rolling Hills because I wanna tell you, church is fun because you and I, we lock arms together and we serve together. The mission of our church says this, Rolling Hills Community Church exists to bring glory to God. We can stop right there because that's what we're about, bringing glory to God. But we do that by reaching people for Christ and nurturing them in the faith. We wanna grow fully mature disciples of Christ through inspired worship, genuine community, and passionate ministry that transforms lives in our neighborhoods and throughout the world. Transforms lives in our neighborhoods and throughout the world that you and I become involved in what God has called us to do. If you look at the mission of Jesus, you go back to Luke chapter four, Jesus said, the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you and I as his disciples, that's our call. To see needs and to meet those needs and to love people the way Jesus loved them. To just say, here I am, God. I'm available. When you came in this morning, uh, you received a, a kind of handout that talks about mission opportunities. I want you just to look at that for a second because there's some incredible things that God's doing here at Rolling Hills. And it takes all of us jumping in. It takes all of us praying and getting involved in different ways. But you can see on the front, it says the harvest is plentiful, right? But the workers are few, the laborers are few. And this is our missions for 2015. You can look locally. There's all kinds of opportunities. So make a difference in our community. We work over the PATH project. Uh, we do the PATH project. It's right over here in Franklin Estates. It happens every Tuesday and also on Thursdays. And we do tutoring after school. Uh, I ran into the principal a couple of months ago from Poplar Grove where a lot of the kids from Franklin Estates go. And she said, Pastor Jeff, thank you. She goes, you wouldn't believe how much our test scores have gone up over the last two years because people from Rolling Hills are coming and tutoring our kids after school. Thank you. She was so excited. I was like... You're welcome. I mean, that's what we're called to do. I mean, that's awesome. So whether it's a Saturday serve or whether it's all these opportunities locally, nationally, we have one-day mission trips. We leave in the morning. We come back at night, go to different places. There's week-long trips. There's trips for students. It, there's great ways. And then internationally, there's all kinds of ways to get involved. Uh, in a month, about a month from today, we have a team of 18 headed to South Africa. And there go there, we work in a place called Red Hill. We've been there for six years working. And this team's gonna be pouring their hearts out in South Africa. Uh, we had a team who just returned from being in Moldova and then went over Christmas and took gifts to orphans and passed out orphans. All these gifts that we collected and, and hats and boots and scarves and coats. It's awesome, 23 people just returned there. 
right? In a couple of weeks, uh, Leo and I and Chase Baker and other people from our church and some other people from the United Kingdom, we're going to the Amazon to train pastors. We have 80 pastors coming, many by canoe, right? They're, they're rowing canoe to come to a pastor's conference, some for three to five or seven days to get there. It, guys, it's awesome to just be a part of what God's doing and to say, okay, God, here I am. I may not know a lot, but Father, I'm gonna go in your name. I want you to see this video, and this is a couple of people, a guy named Andy Ross, who's been to Moldova a bunch of times, and a guy named Jimmy Weekly, who went this past summer for the very first time. And I want you to hear what God did in their lives. Hi, everyone. My name is Alina Magdaluk, and I'm GMI National Director for Moldova. The country where I come from, Moldova, is very small, situated between Romania and Ukraine. Uh, it's known for beautiful landscape, hardworking and beautiful people, but unfortunately it's considered one of the poorest countries in Europe. Justice and Mercy International is helping to take care of orphan, abandoned and vulnerable kids in Moldova. A big part of what GMI is doing in Moldova is mission trips. This is my first time coming to Moldova. With the mission team and I really had no clue what to expect. It's been an amazing experience you know from running sports activities, recreation activities with the kids to helping them during worship time, giving them a helping hand, showing them love and, and seeing the response in the kids faces was unbelievable. My name's Andy and this is my eighth or ninth trip to Moldova. These trips have completely changed my life. They've completely changed the way I understand God and the way I understand God's love for people. When I first came, I didn't feel prepared. I didn't know the language. I didn't know what to expect from food or from the houses we were staying in or from the people. But what I found is that God prepared me and prepared the people I was gonna be working with to connect. It's unbelievably easy to connect when you're doing God's work because He's working in the hearts of the people before you get there. He's working in your own heart before you get there. The kids were, you know, similar to our kids. Uh, back in America, obviously they have less and the kids were used to being around, but you know, they just, they respond to love, they respond to attention and affection. In a country like Moldova, something as simple as a smile can bring people together. So if you can come to a country like Moldova and bring a smile, you'll find that you can connect with a child. You don't need to be an artist, a famous singer, or somebody very special to come. We, we just invite you to come and love on those kids, share your love with them, share your care. They just want you to play with them, sing with them, uh, color with them. They just need somebody to be in their lives. I would say if you're thinking about coming to Moldova, if it's, if it's on your heart just a little bit to just really pray about it and trust, there's gonna be things that come up that tell you in your mind, hey, maybe I can't do this, but I would say just to jump in and do it. The first moment a kid comes up to you and hugs you just because you're there, when you pull up to the campsite and the kids are waiting on you, it's worth it because um, not only are you changing the kids' lives, the kids kind of change your life too. I love that. We go to serve, we go to give, and so often we're the ones that are transformed. You know, there's the joy that comes in giving back. And we started going to Moldova when we had you know, 15 people at the church and, you know, just over the years, 11 years ago, and just to see God grow. And then six years ago to start JMI, Justice and Mercy International, and to see God at work. And there's so much joy in that. 
Okay, in this series, we're trying to give you some things to like look into 2015 and try to hold on to and grow into. And so there's five ways I hope and pray that you can grow in living life on mission. And so if you're taking notes, here you go. Five ways, practical ways to live it out. Number one is this, wake up each morning and say, God, how do you want to use me today? Just real simple. Wake up in the morning and say, God, how do you want to use me today? What do we do? Most of the time we wake up and we're thinking about all the things we need to do, right? I mean, like, I got a busy day, so I got to get on it. But if we wake up and just say, okay, God, you have already prepared good works for me to do today. So God, how do you want to use me? And God, this is your agenda and not my agenda. God, today I want to live your agenda and not my agenda. And what happens then is you start to see opportunities. You start to see divine appointments that God has already scheduled for you. And it may be right there in your own family. It may be right there in your own neighborhood. It may be right there in your own workplace. But God just opens your eyes. God, here I am. You see, so often what we do is we confuse availability and ability. We always say, well, you know, God only uses people who know, like, know all the Bible and they know where all the books of the Bible are and they've memorized all this scripture. And, and if once I know all that, once my ability is there, okay, God, then, then I'll say you can use me. But, but if you look at this, it's not about ability, is it? What's it about? Availability. You know, he said, you've hid this from the wise and the learned and revealed it to little children. It's just people who are, who are available. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And all you just wake up and say, okay, God, here I am. Whatever you got today, I'm your worker. Put me in, coach. Let's go. Number one. Number two is this. See people around you the way Jesus sees them. See people around you the way Jesus sees them. The harvest is plentiful. God, there's people who are in need. There's people who are hurting. And Father, so often I'm just in such a hurry. But God, open my eyes to the needs around me. If you're in Luke 10, right? We've all kind of been there. We get through the end of Luke 10, verse 24. But if you look at the context of Luke 10, what comes right after this? The story of the Good Samaritan. Many people call this the greatest story ever told. And Jesus tells people, they would go, well, I don't know if I'm going to love my neighbor. You know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. There's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets beaten up by robbers. They steal everything he has. They leave him for dead on the road. He's bleeding. And a priest comes by. And and instead of seeing the man, the priest kind of walks to the side and goes around him. What? Well, I don't know. The priest may have had a meeting to get to. And then a Levite comes. This guy's a servant at the temple. And you would think, well, he's going to help him. And Jesus goes, no, he walks around him too. But a Samaritan, now the Jews hated the Samaritans, right? I mean, they called them all kinds of names. They hated each other. But a Samaritan comes and he sees this Jewish guy on the side of the road bleeding. And what does he do? He says, wait a minute. I can do something. I can engage. I can help. The good Samaritan. He says, just start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. Number three is this. Schedule time to invest in others. Schedule time to invest in others. You see, you control your schedule. I control my schedule. So often we say, well, I don't have time. But right, it's not about time, is it? It's about priorities. Where are we going to invest? What are we going to do? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We all have the same amount of time. But what are the priorities that we're going to engage? I love that Samaritan because he came to the man and he didn't just go, you know, hey, dude, sorry, you know, you're having a bad day and went on around. What did he do? He picked him up. He put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn. He gave the innkeeper money and said, hey, make sure this guy is nursed back to health. If there's any more, let me know. He seized the moment to do ministry. Just take advantage of that. Number four is this. Number four, go on a mission trip. 
go on a mission trip. Verse three, what does he say? Go, exclamation point. Now, I know there's different seasons in life. I get it. We have a lot of babies here at Rolling Hills, okay? So it may not be your season right now, but at some point, at some point, at some point, at some point in your journey, in your story, go. Go nationally. There's 17 different mission trips, national and international for 2015. Go at some point. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. Because I'm telling you, when you go, your life has changed. You see things differently. You go and you worship with people who don't have anything and you go, whoa, wow, there's a joy in their life that I'm now realizing is not based on money or possessions. I mean, there's something deeper here. There's a love of Christ that they know. Go at some point. Number five, number five is this. Never lose your joy in the journey. The disciples were full of joy. Jesus, full of joy. You guys, there is joy in the journey. Jesus doesn't promise that it'll always be easy, but Jesus promised he'll always be with us. (laughs) And when he's always with us, what do we do? We take our eyes off our circumstances, we put our eyes on Christ and know that he is for us, that he is cheering us on, that he believes in us. There is a joy that results. So if I'm to boil it down for you, your mission, should you choose to accept it, right? Your mission is this, to know God and to make him known. To know God, to grow in your relationship with him and to make him known to share the love of Christ with others. It's not an accident where you live. It's not an accident where you work. It's not an accident that the time you have or the resources you have, you can make a difference. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. This past Christmas, a guy named Dave Crawford and and Dave was sitting right down there in the first service, early 40s, married to Sherry, great guy, went on his first mission trip, went to Moldova this Christmas, handing out gifts in the orphanage. And the last night, he shared with the team that was there And he wrote this out and he talked about the mission experience and then he said, changes in me, changes in me. And here's what Dave Crawford wrote. He said, three years ago, I thought I was a nice guy, a good man. However, I didn't like people. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I wanted to buy a hundred acres, build a fence around it and build a house right in the middle to make sure I had a nice buffer from the world. But Jesus changes everything. (laughs) He said, I was baptized in June of 2013. And he was, right out there. And when I let Jesus in my heart, he changed my entire life. And sitting here at the end of the week in Moldova, I've realized some things. Number one, I've realized that I have some new friends in the Moldovan people. They are kind, welcoming, and closer to God than I've ever been. Number two, I no longer want a house in the middle of 100 acres but I wanna travel and visit orphans and people all over the world. Number three, to be like Christ, you need to put yourself in places or situations that are not always comfortable. Serve others with all your heart and spend time with the children of the world, letting them know that they are loved. And number four, he said, I've discovered that I have a huge pile of rocks back in Tennessee, but this week, I've been privileged to work with precious gold here in Moldova. And then he put this verse, Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. I just thought, wow. Here's a guy whose life is being transformed and we're watching it. Miracles that are happening all around us for the glory of God and the result, joy, joy. 
when you and I live out that calling in our lives, when you and I live on mission and live on purpose, there's a joy that results. And it starts in our home and it spreads out to around the world. And Jesus took 12 men and changed the world. What do you think he could do through us? What do you think he could do through us? You know, it was the night that Jesus was betrayed and he brought his disciples together and after spending three years of training them, three years of pouring into them, three years of teaching them how to follow him and how to trust him. And Jesus knew, I'm gonna die on the cross for their sins, right? I'm gonna be resurrected and conquer death and then I'm gonna ascend into heaven and these are the ones that are gonna lead the church. These are the ones that are gonna take Christ to the next generation and that's us, taking Christ to the next generation. And so he pulled his disciples together on the night that he was betrayed and he defined the relationship. He looked at them and he looked them in the eye and I believe with all my heart, he just said, guys, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm going to the cross. I am all in. Are you ready to trust? Are you ready to follow? Because I'm going to do things through you that are, you won't even imagine. I'm going to blow your mind and joy is going to result are you ready to follow? Are you ready to live life on mission? He took the bread, right? And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said to them, he said, guys, this is my body broken for you, personal for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, guys, this is the cup. My blood poured out for you. It's the new covenant. You were under the old covenant. When you sinned, when you messed up, you were in big trouble. You were separated from God. But there's a new covenant, and it's grace. And I'm giving you a second chance, and I'm giving you a third chance, and I'm giving you a fifth chance, and I'm giving you a 50th chance and a 100th chance because I love you. This is the cup poured out for you. Take and drink and remember of me, for when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So guys, this morning, we have the opportunity to come to his table. This is not my invitation. This is the invitation of Jesus himself. It doesn't matter what your background is, your religious background, what denomination you grew up in. What matters is if you're following Christ. What matters is if you want to say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to follow you. There's tables that are set up. There's a table here. There's two tables in the back. There's a table on this side. There's a gluten-free station on this side. But I'm going to invite some of our A6 men and, and some of their spouses and, to come to the table because we go two by two, right? We do ministry. We serve together. And so as they make their way to the table, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to the table. They'll be holding the bread and they're going to tell you this is Christ's body broken for you. And I want to invite you to break off a piece of that bread, listen to it being broken, and then dip into the cup his blood poured out for you and to receive the gift that only Jesus could give. So let me pray for us right now. Father, as we come to your table this morning, God, we come saying we're yours. <laughs> we're in. It doesn't mean all our questions are answered. It doesn't mean, Father, that sometimes we don't have doubts or sometimes, God, life is hard and challenging. But what it means is this, is that we want to be your disciples. We want to live life on mission. We want to know you intimately. And so, God, draw us close to your heart. I pray today, Father, as we break a piece of the bread, as we dip into the cup, that, Father, we will just say with our lives, we are yours. 
Thank you for Jesus who has told each of us individually that he's all in. (laughs) He loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. And the mercy and the grace that we receive in Christ. Thank you, Father, for Jesus and for love. And thank you for purpose in our lives that we can serve you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and that we come to your table. Amen. Amen. Whenever you're ready, you're invited to come to the table.